When Cheryl was in grade six, she had a change of heart about boys. And she wrote about it in her diary. Dear diary, I think I lost my craving for boys and gained a craving for men. I saw Mrs. Montgomery's husband today. What a hunk. He's so sophisticated, yet so down-to-earth and not at all stuffy. Boys don't give me that effect anymore. Yours truly, Cheryl. (laughs) That's Cheryl reading a diary entry about her crush on an older man. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Montreal, we have Indiana Jones fan fiction, the consequences of having an accent, and an unrequited crush on a bandstand partner. This stuff is weird, and it is wonderful, and by looking back, it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. When Josh was in grade five, he was a big fan of the Indiana Jones movies. In fact, he was such a big fan that he decided to write his own Indiana Jones story. All right. Indiana Jones and the Lost Statue of Kula Mula. Author, Joshua Budman. Illustrator, Joshua Budman. Publisher, Budco. (laughs) Copyright, 1992. Dedication. I dedicate this story to my family because I love them. This story is also for Indiana Jones. On March 8th, 1981, an archaeologist called Indiana Jones was waiting on a corner of a street. Then a man called Michael, a friend of Indiana's, came. He went over to Indiana, gave him a package, and disappeared. In France, on November 26, 1981, Indiana Jones and his friend Marcus were in a school teaching class. When the class was over, Marcus and Indiana went to the staff room. Indiana had a package. Marcus asked, what is that? And Indiana replied, it's a package my old friend Michael gave me in Germany. With information about the lost city of Kula Mula. I want to find the statue of Kula Mula, examine it, and then give it to the museum. Indiana took the package and opened it. Inside was a secret map to Kula Mula and the keys to a private airplane. (laughs) That would take them to India, where Kula Mula was located. In one hour, Indiana and Marcus were flying to... (laughs) to India. When they reached their destination, they managed to find a clearing in the middle of a jungle and landed the plane. After searching for several hours, they heard voices coming from a cave at the side of a mountain. They entered the cave and found the lost city. The voices sounded like people speaking the German language. They saw a German ambassador. It was a surprise to them. Who's with them, Indiana? asked Marcus. Indiana replied, of course I know who he is. 
He's my friend, but he's really a German spy. He also wants the statue, so he came with the German. But I don't think they found the statue yet. After the coast was clear, they ran to the palace where the map showed the statue was located. They ran inside until they got to a pit. Indiana took his whip, threw it in the air, and he and Marcus swung across the pit. They ran until they found the room with the statue. Wait, don't go into the room yet. It might be booby-trapped. Stay back, shouted Indiana. Indiana took his whip and hit a tile on the floor with a picture on it, but nothing happened. <laughs> then he hit a tile without a picture and arrows flew across the room. He started to hop on all the tiles with pictures on them and got to the statue. He picked up the statue and placed it into a bag right away. When he turned around, he saw Michael pointing a gun at him and Marcus. Michael demanded that Indiana give him the bag with the statue, but there was no way Indiana was going to give it up. He told Michael that he didn't have it, that Marcus did. <laughs> Marcus was holding a bag of explosives and decided to pass it off as the bag with the statue. Michael grabbed the bag and ran out to his Jeep. He wanted to get away with the statue and take it to Germany. A few minutes later, Indiana and Marcus heard an explosion. The Jeep hit a rock and exploded, killing Michael before he realized he didn't have the statue in the bag. Indiana and Marcus were overjoyed that they had the statue because of its historic value. The next day in the museum, Indiana gave the statue to the manager. He said, thank you. We were waiting for it for a long time. No problem, said Indiana. No, the end. Thank you. Sometimes readers get on our stage and share a single piece of writing, a poem, a short story, a single diary entry. But other times, readers bring a few different pieces written at different ages, and we get a kind of retrospective. I love when that happens, because in just a few minutes on stage, you can really get a sense of how someone grew and changed over the course of years. Our next reader, Talia, brought a number of journal entries from ages 11 to 15. Initially, they deal with some of the loneliness she felt and the lack of self-confidence she had in school. And then later on, we hear her find a little bit of that confidence. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Talia to our stage. May 5th, 2000. I have changed pens because I will now talk about my sorrows. I, I have never had any real friends. I always wondered why I have no friends. Maybe it's because of my clothes. I, I have never followed fashion. I do not have a good opinion of myself at school. Everyone seems better than me, and I don't talk exactly like them. Maybe it's because I read too many books. Another reason is that I'm very shy, and it prevents me from daring to make friends. May 15th, 2002. Justin B. I don't know anymore how I feel about him. I think I love him. He's so original. Not especially nice or beautiful, but different. And him, 
does he think about me? Sometimes I don't think so, but sometimes I wonder if he doesn't like me a little. Here's a conversation we had today. Justin. <sighs> Been breathing hard lately? Me? No. Justin? That means you haven't had sex lately. Me? No. Justin, do you plan to have sex before you get married? Me? No. Justin, are you going to get married? Me? No. <laughs> Madame Compton, the teacher. You're not going to get married? Why not? Me. Because no one will ever ask me to. <laughs> Justin. I would. But we'd have to get divorced if you want to have kids because I hate kids. More another day. July 13th, 2003. I've come back from a week of intensive theater camp. But what am I talking about? Art strike, of course. I can honestly say this week has been absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best weeks I've had in years. It has been a long time since I felt connected with the universe and felt the joy of living I was born with. I think that after years of hiding behind my walls so solidly built, I have finally broken my social barriers. I met so many people there. Katrina, Kayla, Heather, Leah, Katie, Dana, Kevin. I hope I will remember them for years after this. Kevin is so cool. I know no other guy like him. He is an artist. <laughs> strange, like all artists. And best of all, he's not afraid to sing. Didn't I say he was cool? We met him when Dana and I were singing Telephone Hour from Bye Bye Birdie in the corridor. This is the most intimate I have been with a guy since the third grade. Everything seems so natural <laughs> that I forgot to be shy. Maybe it's because he's that kind of person. Maybe, maybe it's because of a change in me. I don't know. If, if only I could be like this at school. November 23rd, 2003. I went to a party at Jeff's today. I had a lot of fun. My theater friends were there, and during the night, Sean arrived with two other strangers. One was called Kevin, not, not the same Kevin, and I thought he was pretty cute. We played dare in the hot tub. Things, the things that were done were too exorbitant to put in this journal. <laughs> Suffice to say, I kissed a stranger, Kevin, <laughs> and I made out, quote unquote, with Jeff my first time. It was not as pleasant as it appears in the movies. <laughs> After the two kisses, I was surprised to be thinking, is that it? Is, is there nothing all that special about it? Maybe it's because I don't feel anything special for Jeff or Kevin. Maybe you need love to make it exciting and special. Maybe it's just because neither of them is a good kisser. <laughs> It doesn't matter. What is so romantic about a kiss? If you think about it, the idea is a bit ridiculous. But maybe that will change when I get older. May 4th, 2004. The perfect husband, according to Tilia when she was 15 years old. The perfect husband has a sense of humor. He does not have too much hair on his legs, backs, and stomach. Ew. He is not hot, quote-unquote, but rather cute. He, he is kind. He will not think it weird when I start to sing, dance, and act ridiculous in his presence. In fact, he would maybe start to sing and dance with me. He can make me laugh. He is original. He is not a sexist. He offers, he offers me chocolate and flowers on Valentine's Day. He, he gives me embraces at the right time. And he does not do or say more stupid things than is humanly possible for a guy to do or say. 
and he will not read my intimate journal. Thank you. <laughs> After the show, Talia called in to reflect on those journal entries. It's always hard to look back and remember the crippling shyness that I felt when I was younger. Uh, I think a lot of it stemmed from low self-esteem and uh, feeling like I wasn't good enough. All the other kids who were around me seemed so self-confident, like they had this secret uh, that (laughs) made them somehow better than me because they knew that they were better and so they could be self-confident. I think I didn't believe at the time that people could like me for who I was and so it was just easier to be self-effacing and unassuming. But even then, I I think I realized that shyness was holding me back and that that was the reason that uh, I didn't have any friends was because I couldn't approach people. I couldn't uh, connect with them because I was just too too afraid. Um, and so uh, I guess that was why I read that entry about theater camp because it was one of the first places where I felt like I was able to really connect with people and uh, that where I sort of learned that people, you know, could like me for the person that I was and that I didn't have to be afraid all the time. What helped me more than anything when I was younger was that over time I realized that everyone is secretly afraid of being rejected and of not being liked or of not being enough. And once you realize that, you, it, then people don't seem so so formidable when you remember that. And I wish maybe that I could have realized that sooner. When Gerard was 14, he wrote an essay for English class, and it was all about the different ways people speak. He called it... The consequences of having an accent or dialect. In this world, there are thousands of regional accents, all quite different and recognizable. Brackets, if you have happened to have lived in the region. Close brackets. Some are pleasing to the ear, others are not, depending on personal taste. Also in this world are, underlined, a lot of ignorant people who judge people by their accents. This is sad because these are the people who cause trouble. (laughs) An accent in capital letters no way indicates a person's character, wealth, political views or intelligence. The only thing this indicates is where the person hails from. From my own experience, my mother has been called a racist many times because of her Southern African accent, but she left because of the government system. This is quite common, but for a more cliched example, speak to a few people in an Irish accent and see what they think of you. (laughs) At least one person will accuse you of being in the IRA, which of course is totally unfounded because there are one and a half million people in Northern Ireland and only a few thousands members of the IRA. The other sad fact about accents are, crossed out, is that they are dying out fast. There are two reasons for this. The first being television and radio. As the channels are all national, in the sense that the programmes are the same, just at a different time, everybody sees the same things, and the people on them usually do not have an accent. Newscasters and presenters, for example. 
Children brought up on this are now beginning to copy it. I speak from personal experience. I was a TV addict, but, quote, kicked the habit. (laughs) Because I now possess no accent whatsoever. In a way, this is good because I personally detest the South Buckinghamshire accent. But in a way, it is also bad because I have no identity. (laughs) Mean. Um, The other fault for the fading of accents um, is the plurality, and my teacher wrote question mark, um, of people. I'd learned that word that week. Uh, one prime example is of the London Docklands, where ten years ago, if you walked through them, every voice you would have a Cockney accent. But today, you might not hear one for several miles. Again, not true. Um, <laughs> As a conclusion, I think this world is slowly evolving into the world in John Lennon's Imagine, where... (laughs) The song I hate, by the way. Um, uh, Where all the people have no accent and live in peace. Um, (laughs) The question of whether this is a good thing or not is still debatable. Thank you. Now, just for the record, John Lennon's Imagine does talk quite a lot about people living in peace. But contrary to Gerard's essay, it doesn't actually make any mention of a world without accents. At Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, we hear a lot about crushes. And the thing about crushes is that sometimes your crush likes you back. But other times, your crush is entirely unrequited. Madeline is going to read a brief excerpt from the diary she kept at 13 years old about the overwhelming, romantic, unrequited love she had for her middle school bandstand partner. Please welcome to our stage, Madeline. Dear Journal... It turned out that I didn't get a hamster. But I'm back in school, and I have a crush on a boy named Dylan Chapel. Hmm, Maddie Chapel. How's that sound? Just kidding. <laughs> I think about him all the time. He's so cute. He's got red hair, freckles, and the cutest smile you've ever seen. Love, Maddie. P.S. I'm asking him out on January 16th. <laughs> January 30th. Dear Journal... I didn't have the guts to ask him out, but I'm going to ask Steph to ask him out for me. I can't decide, but I'm leaning towards a no. It would probably go something like this. Quote, Dear Dylan, do you remember when I told you that I liked you? Well, I hope you do. When you were asking questions about who liked you and you said, God, why can't people just be honest? So I'm being honest with you. I really like you. So I was wondering if you would go out with me, and yes, I know that I don't always wear the most fashionable clothes. If and when you make up your mind, please get back to me, Maddie Hope. P.S. Please don't share this note with anyone, especially if you say no. (laughs) End quote. I know, pretty pitiful, but it's the best I can do. Love, Maddie. P.S. I'm a nervous Nelly. February 3rd. I gave Dylan the note, and I ran up the stairs. I didn't even see his facial expression. I just ran. I'm not sure if that was the best thing to do, but my friend Kayla Jones says there's a large chance he'll go out with me, but I don't know. (laughs) May 1st. 
Dear Journal, Dylan said no, but that's okay because he still, he still likes with me and he flirts with me all the time. <laughs> June 23rd, Dear Journal, today is the second day of summer vacation and I really miss Dylan. I can just picture him in a bathing suit. <laughs> that smile, the red hair, the freckles, oh, I can't stand it. I wanna see him so bad. I love Dylan, I love Dylan, I love Dylan, I love Dylan. There, how's that? Love Maddie, Maddie loves Dylan. <laughs> Dear Journal, today was a crazy day. My mom and dad are thinking about getting a new car, a Volvo station wagon. <laughs> all summer, all I can think about is Dylan. Maybe I'll see Dylan here, maybe I'll see Dylan there. I'm dying without him. <clears throat> August 8th. Dear Journal, today we're having a poker party. The Hibbinses, the Herrinses, the O'Connells, the Coffees, the Lounsburys are coming. There's going to be at least 22 people here. I'm almost finished painting my room. I can't stop thinking about Dylan. <laughs> Everything reminds me of him. I'll go off and daydream that I'll bump into him everywhere I go. I love him. I even dream about him. I didn't know what to do, so I called my friend Kayla about what to do, and she said to try and distract herself. So that's what I'm going to do. Love, Maddie. March 1st. I wanted to tell you that I don't like Dylan anymore. <laughs> but I think he still likes me. I like John Reedy. He's just so, so, so great. Love, Maddie. Thank you. Our next reader, Florian, had a blog growing up. When he was 16 years old, he wrote quite a lot on his blog, including some posts about how girls are evil <laughs> and distracting. Please welcome to our stage, Florian. So this is my very first post, actually. Saturday, October 25th, 2003. I hate girls. I mean, think about it. Being a guy is a curse, a punishment from God. A good friend once said that beards were men's punishments for fooling around with women. I should castrate myself so I'd never have to think about girls ever again. Just, just kidding. At least I should be in a private school because that's why private schools do so well and the students are all smart. There's no distractions from the opposite sex since they're separated. Every year it's the same thing. I tell myself to, to focus only on my academics, but of course I get distracted. That's probably also why girls generally get better grades. I mean, because while the guys are drooling over their desks, the girls have already typed up nine essays. <laughs> on top of that, I can't seem to figure out why it is that some guys with nothing special about them get all the girls and others don't. What pisses me off even more is when girls come up to me to tell me that they used to love my brother and thought he was the perfect guy. Well, of course he's the perfect guy. He's gay. <laughs> so my usual response to all these gorgeous girls that had crushes on my brother is that it runs in the family, you know, kind of a pickup line. Um, but then they give me a look as if I haven't looked at myself in the mirror lately. 
me and my brother are completely different, absolutely nothing in common. In fact, we're complete opposites. And I, unfortunately, am afraid that one day I will be used and hurt emotionally by a girl. <laughs> I have a hard time focusing on school because of girls, and this has made me miserable. I'm not saying all girls should be hated. There are a few good and understanding ones whose life goal isn't to torture men. Thanks. posts get progressively darker and are a clear cry for attention from the opposite sex, but what shocked me most was how open I was to revealing some of my most intimate thoughts. When I was a teenager, I thought I was lagging behind my peers socially and romantically, so if I could, I'd tell myself that after high school everything does get better and you end up doing quite well for yourself. For the most part, women now are just as distracting as ever, but perhaps I'll admit a little less evil. When Carolyn was nine, she kept a journal. And in addition to writing about her life, Carolyn used her journal to keep lists. Live on stage in Montreal, here's Carolyn reading a short journal entry and two lists. One about things she likes and one about things she hates. I wonder if I will ever get a picture of Nathaniel and why I like Nathaniel. He's very cute, funny, and nice. I love Nathaniel, I love Nathaniel, I love Nathaniel. (laughs) Thursday, the 24th of September, 1998. I am writing this because this is very important. Joelle, my best friend, has cigarettes. And when I go to her house, I will try one. I am very scared, but ready. I am nine. I am nine. I will tell Sarah and nobody else but I will do this for Nathaniel. I will do everything for him, even if it means smocking. It is for him and only him. I love Nathaniel, I love Nathaniel, I love Nathaniel. I never spoke to Nathaniel. Later on in 1998, things I like, dogs, my name, my friends, my family, Aaron, my mirror, boys, Animals, music, TV, writing in my diary, Jamaica, traveling in spells. <laughs> Things I hate. Jerry, Christos, boys. Liver, snails, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Bees, blood tests, dying, hell. Curses on me. Popcorn, jam, and Esther. What I love about Carolyn's list is that so many people were putting curses on her that it made the list. How many curses do you have on you? That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at La Sala Rosa in Montreal and produced by Jenna Meisner. 
Olivia Nashmi is our intern. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. If all of this sounds like fun to you, why not be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids event? We are about to announce a bunch of live shows, and if you want to be among the first to know about them, you should join our email newsletter. You can sign up at our website, grownups.fm, or even easier, use the link in the show notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>